obviously a miscalculation there, and you're upset. Tell yeah, me about it. Yeah, very upset. We should have been in a ball game with fast field goal. The coach had sent him in. We shouldn't have sent him in. That's a damn coaching mistake. Right? The kids are playing their tail off, and the coaches are screwing it up. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to Green and White Noise. My name is Chris Vanini. I am joined by Colton Pouncey. We are your hosts, and it's time to talk Michigan State football once again. And believe it or not, we have some thoughts. We have some things to talk about after whatever that was on Saturday. Uh, but first, a reminder, this weekly Monday recap pod is available free wherever you get podcasts. So thanks to everybody who's listening. But the Thursday preview podcast is only available on The Athletic, so we highly recommend you subscribe if you have not yet. We had The Athletic's uh, Doug Holler on last week, and people who listened to that episode knew what they were getting from Arizona State. And maybe some people uh, associated with Michigan State could have listened to what Doug had to say. Also, The Andy Staple Show is available free everywhere every Sunday morning, a recap of the previous day of college football. I made an appearance on it this weekend to talk both Michigan State and UCF. Uh, and also, The Athletic is debuting The Lead today, a new daily podcast that will touch on a single story in sports. Uh, I highly recommend you check that out. We'll have a trailer at the end of this episode. Uh, it's called The Lead. But we are here to talk Michigan State football. And a 10-7 to loss to Arizona State that has a lot of Michigan State fans with their heads in their hands after botching the final few minutes. Colton, you were at the game. You're in East Lansing. Are the torches and the pitchforks out? Chris, uh, the pitchforks were quite literally out Saturday night. Um, minutes after the game, um, an Arizona State offensive lineman grabbed a large white pitchfork, ran around the field with it, had some fun, uh, gathered around some teammates, and then planted it kind of near the north end zone of Spartan Stadium. Uh, just as MSU players were walking off the field, I did not. I did not see that. Yeah, interesting. I, saw it for first hand right there. Uh, but you know, besides that, I you know I don't see any other reason why uh, anyone would need pitchforks after a game like that. Uh, Chris, Chris, can you think of a reason or two? Yeah, you know, I'll tell you where the torches and the pitchforks are. We set up a voicemail box for listeners to send in their thoughts. I, I tweeted it after the game. Didn't know. If we get any responses, if we did, what kind of responses? And boy, did we get some responses. And let's start there. So thanks to those of you who called in. This was kind of an experiment, and based on the feedback, we may continue this moving forward uh, as a alternative sometimes to Twitter questions. But let's take a listen to some of these. Uh, let's listen to this first one from Alex in Orange County. Yeah, this is Alex calling from Orange County, California. Just, I'm just sick. You know, I, I, I'm a graduate. I graduated in May of 18, so I saw some good years. I saw some great years. But the gross incompetence that was displayed today, you know, I, I partially understand burning the timeouts. You know, if, if you want to settle, if you want to, if you want to completely, you know, trust your defense on that fourth and thirteen call, right? But you call two timeouts. And you come out there with a three-man rush with no spy against a dual-threat quarterback. I just, I, I can't, I can't even stomach that. I, I just can't, I cannot even stomach that. And then we're lucky enough to get a ghost pass interference. You know, the rest of them were trash all day, but we're lucky enough to get a ghost pass interference call, right? We go out there, 
You know, 11 seconds, you, you have a, you have a, you have a chance, a shot to have to go to the end zone and kick a field goal. Um, and we wait. I'm, I was talking to other ones, but we wait to the very end to make a decision, and then you just rush your field goal unit out there, right? I mean, no, 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 no. I don't want to excuse my language, but of course we're going to have a, a higher chance of penalty like that. I just, I can't, I can't believe a, a coach this season, a coach of this season, continue, you know, throughout the game, it felt like, but especially last five minutes, just so many boneheaded mistakes that I would expect from a new coach, not from a coach who has been this successful and has been around this long, and he's, he's so disciplined. I mean, he, he, he prides his program on discipline, top to bottom, players and coaches, and I didn't see any discipline the last five minutes of the game, and I just... But thank God it was non-conference. That's all I can say. Thank God it was non-conference. But, you know, I hope the O-line is better next week. I don't know. And we'll go from there. Go Green. So I think Alex made a lot of good points there, a lot of points that many MSU fans would agree with. I think the discipline one is certainly interesting because, you know, they reshuffled the coaching staff uh, instead of replacing guys. And when you've got guys who have been together for so long, you think they would know how to execute the end of a game. Uh, that way. Um, Colton, did you have any reaction to Alex's many thoughts there? Yeah, he had a few of them there. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, there were a lot of penalties in that game. Um, some of them were, were kind of questionable, but this is the second game at F3 so far that MSU's had, you know, double digit penalties, and, and that can't happen. You have a veteran team full of seniors who have been around here, multi year starters. Um, yeah, there's, there's some new coaches kind of shuffled in different positions, but. Um, you know, these are coaches who've been around for a long time and have worked with Antonio for a long time and, you know, should, should kind of know how this thing goes. And you still saw a lot of, you know, mental errors and, you know, just different execution errors. So, yeah, it, it wasn't a great game. And, you know, I think Alex and, and other fans have every right to be upset about that. So let's go to the next call. This is Johnny from Grand Rapids. At the end of, at the, end of the day, our defense, allowed 10 points, and that should win us a game every single time. But we showed up with no offense, with no swagger like we have in previous years. Our Rose Bowl season, there was so much swagger on offense and defense. But this year, where's our offense? They played soft. We've, we're playing soft right now. This is Jake from Grand Rapids, too. We played soft, and it's not going to win a football game. So – that it's just that simple. Matt Coughlin will recover, but our offense overall needs to play better. It's that simple. So he he makes an interesting point that I actually uh, agree with and haven't heard, uh, even if he was clearly uh, emotional after that game. But it's a lack of swagger and confidence from this MSU team, and I I'm not there, you're there, but watching on TV, this this feels like a team that knows when something is going wrong and has a lot of trouble getting out of it. It doesn't have the self-confidence to turn things around. I think Lewerke had that in 2017, his first year. I think a lot of the team did, and, and that's why they had a lot of fourth-quarter comebacks in that game. But the last two years, it's it's not a team that looks like it believes in itself. I don't know. Colton, you're, at least offensively, I'll say. Defensively, obviously, things are fine there. But Colton, as someone who is – Talk to the players after the game. Talk to them about practice and stuff. What, you know, what what do you think about that idea that that they're maybe lacking confidence? I think there's a little bit of truth there. Um, I wasn't around back in you know 2015 or 2014 when this offense was kind of, you know, 
getting things going there and winning, you know, double digit wins every year. So, um, you know, I, I will say, I think that last year was a bit of an emotional toll on, on players on offense, you know, so many injuries, you know, guys dropping like flies left and right. You didn't know who's lining up next to you. Um, there wasn't a lot of continuity. Uh, so you didn't really have that opportunity to build up confidence, um, at least last year. And this year, you know, you had a whole offseason of, of fans wanting to see, wanting to see more. Um, that put a lot of pressure on players to kind of come out and perform early right away. Uh, that didn't happen against Tulsa. One offensive touchdown that game. Um, it happened against Western Michigan. Uh, <laughs> I guess that kind of proved uh, Western Michigan is not, you know, this uh, stout defense. Um, so, no. No. So, uh, so, I mean, what you want to see from them against Arizona State was, you know, put up points. It doesn't have to be 51, but, you know, get to 30. Get to three, four offensive touchdowns, let the defense take care of the rest, and then win that game. They, and they didn't show that at all. Arizona State is like, you're trying to figure out how good they are on defense, right? They haven't really played anyone. Seven points a game coming into this one, and, you know, they hold MSU to seven points. So, there hasn't been a lot of opportunity for this offense to actually get things going and build much of that confidence. And, you know, that swagger and confidence are, are kind of related, and they're connected in a way. So, when you don't have one, the other's not going to be there. Let's go to our last call. Uh, from a guy who did not give us his name. My wife told me I should speak from my heart. And I guess I'm just upset that this affects me so much emotionally. I feel like I'm enslaved to this team that has now become a tragic comedy. And, yeah, I'm just upset that it, it has so much emotional control over me. And that's all I have to say. Goodbye. You know, I I think he makes I, – I think he shows a feeling that a lot of MSU fans – have had and oh wait I'm, I'm being told he sent us another message i forgot to say this it's just been a tough day for me too i was on a run earlier in the day and i pooped my pants because <laughs> i got locked out of the bathroom and and that's that's what i watched this michigan state team do they just pooped their pants except they weren't locked out of the bathroom i don't know where this analogy is going so i'm gonna hang up now the man pooped his pants. He got locked out. Just like MSU got locked out of the end zone for most of that game. Uh, I don't think there's really much more to analyze there other than to say that, uh, uh, yeah, I don't think there's anything really left to say there. But thank, thank you to those of you who called. Again, we uh, will probably continue <laughs> this moving forward. Uh, watch for me and Colton to tweeted out uh, after games the phone number um because uh, we got a lot of feedback on that and we appreciated that colton you were the one who set this up you were the one who went through all of them what was that like yeah uh so i knew some of our other athletic podcasts had voicemails set up and i'd actually been meaning to ask about that um so saturday night seemed like a good chance to uh to get that going and luckily mike was able to uh get that up and running pretty quickly after the game um the cool thing about, you know, Google Voice is that it kind of lets you transcribe uh, voicemails as they come in. So I was able to read some of them beforehand in the press box. Uh, you know, ter turns out they're actually even better to listen to once I got a chance. <laughs> uh, you guys killed it. Um, there's so many others that we could have included, um, you know, to the guy that pooped his pants. Uh, you know, he might have bigger problems than, than his football team losing a game. <laughs> <laughs> but uh hey i'm not one to judge uh we we appreciate all the all the feedback and all the calls that we got he's got a wife who 
asks him to speak from the heart, and that's all that we can. Really? That's all that we can all it ask really is. for. Uh, so as we look, so as we move away from that and move into our real game analysis, we are going to start with the John L. Smith screwing it up moment of the game. And you heard that on the intro of the podcast, because what else could this moment be? It was almost literally the John L. Smith screwing it up play from 2006 when Michigan State rushed the field goal unit on before halftime against Ohio State, only had 10 players out there. And they had to, instead of, they could have spiked it, but the offense ran off the field, field goal ran out, kick it's blocked, return for a touchdown. John L. Smith says what he says. Meanwhile, Michigan State gets down, spikes the ball with 11 seconds left, doesn't make a decision for literally more than 30 seconds of game time. I went back and watched this a few times. Lewerke spikes the ball, he turns and looks and starts asking, What are we doing? What's the play? They're walking to the sideline. The offense stops, starts to walk back to the line of scrimmage. Camera cuts to Brad Salem. Next thing you know, he's waving him off the field goal guard. That was more than 30 seconds before they decided to send the field goal out there. They have to hurry it up because of the play clock because they didn't have any timeouts because they burned them. And they make the field goal, but they only had 12 out there. How, how I can understand how 10 get out there. I don't really understand how 12 get out there. Uh, but... Just a complete disaster, and it costs them a game. And it, 13 years of Mark D'Antonio, and yet you still get a John L. moment. Uh, Colton, you know, being in that stadium, what did you make of that whole situation? Yeah, the uh, the field goal mismanagement was was pretty terrible. Um, just the 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 indecisiveness, and you know, back and forth. Lewerke said after the game that he wanted the offense to stay on the field and, and take a shot at the end zone. Um, you know, D'Antonio said he would have been okay with that, but there was just so much back and forth. And it got to a point where they were running out of time and D'Antonio was like, Hey, let's just send the field goal team out there. See what we can do. Let's just get the points. We'll go to overtime. We'll figure things out from there. And then, you know, you know, part of that is you have too many men on the field and you have 12 players go out there for whatever reason. And then you're kind of forced to re-kick. It's a five yard penalty. It takes a 42 yard field goal that Matt Coughlin made, it pushes that back to 47 and I think, you know, I was on the sidelines for that, for that, you know, final attempt there. You could just sense in the from the stadium, everyone in the, in the stands, that that field goal wasn't going in. Nobody believed that that was going to no. work out well. Because there was, again, no confidence, and everybody knew how this yeah, it was just that, it, And it was just that kind of game. You know, you calls weren't going MSU's way. Nothing really was. So you, as soon as that happened, they got pushed back. And especially after Coughlin had already made – already missed a couple of field goals – um, yeah, I, there wasn't much confidence that that one was going to go in. And unfortunately for MSU, it did not. So they could have spiked the ball again. Like th- that should have been D'Antonio's decision when he, when they realized they had to hurry up. And again, the fuel, fuel unit didn't get sent out there until like 10 seconds left on the play clock. They could have spiked it a second time. It would have looked stupid, but you would have had a better chance. And I know, they rushed a field goal team out and they made it. It was a weird mistake that, that caused it to not happen. But they absolutely panicked. They, there was no it's complete indecisiveness and then a late decision at the end. It was really the entire loss was a, a, a complete coaching failure on all three levels, the offense, the defense, and the special teams. And that's not supposed to happen when you have the same coaching staff forever and you specifically didn't make any changes at the end of 
last year because you wanted continuity. But that ends up happening. It costs them a game. And any momentum or positive feelings people had after the Western Michigan game is completely gone, and everybody is fully expecting a repeat of 2018. Michigan State Twitter is falling apart, tearing each other limb from limb. It's a mess. But as we step back and look at the rest of this game, what do we make of the offense? They put up 404 yards, seven, seven and a half yards per pass. Seven drives made it to Arizona State territory, but they only end up with seven points. Because if you listen to the Thursday pod, my biggest key to the game was finishing drives, finishing in the red zone. They didn't do that last year against Arizona State. They didn't do it this time. They got in there seven times to Arizona State territory. Results in two missed field goals, a fumble, a turnover on downs, a punt, a touchdown, and then the end of the game. Lewerke numbers pretty good, 24 for 38, 291 yards. Uh, Elijah Collins, 19 carries, 72 yards, 3.8 per carry. What did you make of the offense as a whole, Colton? Yeah, um, I mean, you mentioned it. It was really the lack of execution in the red zone and, you know, just getting past the, the 50 um, into Arizona State territory is, you know, you expect to, to come away with, some of those drives with some points and, and Michigan state didn't most of the game. Um, I will say this loss was different than others. Be just, you know, others where the offense didn't put up points. Um, you know, the offense moved the ball pretty well and with some regularity, uh, at least better than, than Arizona state did uh, 404 yards of offense and only seven points. That's, that's really hard to do. Um, and yeah, there's some, some missed field goals, but you know, Matt Coughlin was seven of seven this season coming into the game. You know, he's allowed to have an occasional off day, um, you can't really put that game on squarely on his shoulders. Uh, the, nobody, it, it, nobody really seems to be blaming him. Everybody seems to be blaming right. the coaches, and, and that, at least from yeah, what and, I know. And that's that's where the the blame should land. Um, so defensively, MSU gives up only 216 total yards, 4.2 yards per play, 2.9 per rush, 10 points. Arizona State was four for 13 on third down, but. It was another typical, very, very strong performance. But everybody's going to remember what happened at the end. Arizona State drives down the field. They get a fourth and 13. I think Arizona State called timeout. Then MSU called timeout twice, burning both of their final timeouts, which I immediately thought that was going to be a problem. Because if you, if you give that up, you are you are in big trouble. And for, they, they show blitz the first two times. Then MSU... Only rushes three, drops eight. Nobody spies the quarterback, apparently. Nobody was within 15 yards of the line of scrimmage, and the quarterback, Daniels, runs for a first down. Uh, yeah, the defense, later, maybe the next defense was incredible again. 216 yards and 10 points should like be enough to win every single game. What, what, what do you uh, make of the defense as a whole? Instead, you know, we got do another you look loss at that where, ending as you know, the defense should be something you put on the coaches and, and you know, somehow the fact still loses. That uh, 10 points should absurd. win you a game? The field goal mismanagement was terrible, but... You know, the timeouts on, on that last defensive drive for, for MSU, that was, you know, pretty poor use of timeouts, I, I thought. You know, I was on the sidelines for that, and, you know, I hated the call in the moment and obviously hated the call after the game. And I, I get the thinking behind it, uh, but to me it just seemed like the staff was, was doing too much. You know, trust your championship-level defense to get the job done, and, and if they don't, you're going to need those timeouts for your offense that's been struggling, and, you know, they could use every advantage they can get. Um, so... I don't know. We got the usual answers from, from defensive players after the game. You know, Joe Bocci was up there. Uh, he said they'll move past it. Uh, Rayquan Williams said they'll regroup for Northwestern. But, 
you know, I don't know how much longer you can say that and, and mean it if this keeps happening. We have these games where, you know, they're giving up 10 points and still losing. I understand using one timeout. I didn't understand using your last one because you, yeah. you, you were putting it all on that play, on that fourth down play. And then to rush three never seems to work with MSU. They've got a tremendous defensive line, even if you just rush your normal four. Uh, you know, you, pressuring the quarterback is the key because that's what they've been doing all game. And t- to not pressure him in that one time just seemed very strange. Uh, so that takes us to the Le'Veon Bell. How did he do that moment of the game? For me, it's the Daryl Stewart kind of one-handed catch down the sideline, deep in MSU territory on third down. Uh, he had nine catches for 121 yards, continues to look like MSU's best wide receiver. Um, they, they, they ran a lot of inside slants to him. That was working, but I think that play was MSU's most effective offensive play. Uh, was there anything else that stood out to you, Colton? Yeah, how about uh, Matt Sabert going 48 yards on, on one play there? Um that was basically a, a quarter of uh, the tight ends combined receiving yards from last season on on, <laughs> on one play. Uh, I, I never thought I'd see a tight end break loose like that. Um, but yeah, shout out to to Matt Sabert. He had that was a bit, that was a big play in the game. The Mike Sadler punt of the game. Uh, I'm going with the Jake Hartbarger 55 yarder that had great coverage and a 15 yard holding penalty, which was essentially a 70 yard punt and flipped the field. That was in the fourth quarter. Problem is that ended up being Arizona State's winning touchdown drive, but uh, I thought it was a tremendous punt and a matchup of two very good punters. Yeah, I tend to agree with you there. Um, Jake's been really clutch this season. Um, you know, we know he's been a weapon in the past, and he's really proven that this year. Uh, some other miscellaneous stuff from this game that I wrote down: the fourth down run with Connor Hayward that was stuffed. Not only did they go with Hayward, who I guess is the power back instead of Elijah Collins, who always falls forward. They ran the play over left guard, like right after Luke Campbell got hurt, the left guard. It's another coaching decision. I don't know. I think they should be Brian Lewerke sneaking every time on fourth and short, third and short, because he gets it every time. He got it earlier in that game. So either, either that, or why not just stick with Elijah Collins? He's clearly the only running back that can make a guy miss or can plop someone over. Um, Hayward didn't show you that in, in 13 games last year. Um, Ladarius Jefferson is also kind of using those short yardage situations, but, um, for them not to go with Elijah Collins and I know you want to mix in other guys, but if you need a yard, go to him or sneak with Lewerke. It's, it's pretty simple. Again, it feels like coaches overthinking it. Um, Brandon Sowards was back there for a punt and return, which set a lot of people off on Twitter, uh, after last year yeah. when <laughs> Sowards never caught the punt. And he didn't this time, but it was fine because it bounced at the five, downed at the four, played it the right way. That would, that would It was tough, just really regardless. random, and then Cody White was back in there. So, I, again, another punt return change just like week one that didn't make any sense to me. Uh, and lastly, I wrote down the tempo. I mean, again, they go one-minute offense at the end of that game, and they were aided by a pretty phantom pass interference call, but they were able to move down the field, and when they're not thinking, when they're just going – the offense can move the ball again when this team runs plays with tempo. You got to pick up first downs, obviously, but this team just looks better when they play with tempo, and not when they're trying to establish the run, run clock, or whatever. Did you have any thoughts on that? No, yeah, I agree. Um, you know, Daryl Stewart is is you know 
kind of a master in those situations, you know, finding open spots in the zone. Lewerke just looks way more comfortable when they're when they're going up tempo and not really thinking about it out there. So yeah, I tend to agree with you. So that'll wrap up our Arizona State coverage. Colton, uh, do you have any stories coming out this week? Anything yet known that uh, the readers should look for? Um, yeah, I'll have my uh, a pawn for the review uh, for Monday morning. That's <laughs> that should be interesting this week. Um, Nick will have a film room, and then. You know, we'll get into some uh, Northwestern stuff later in the week. Uh, I, I I think North I think Michigan State opens as an eight and a half point favorite in that game. What? Um, yeah, yeah, surprisingly. That right. <laughs> after after losing uh, three and straight, and this is on so, the road, uh, and Northwestern's won uh, three in a row. Yeah. Hold on, I am looking. So, I am um, looking this up right now. Go for it, man. <laughs> well, I'm seeing six and a half here, but it doesn't look updated. Okay. But still, that's gotcha. very surprising. I guess we'll see how it yep. plays out during the week. So, uh, yeah, so that'll do it here. We're going to talk about Northwestern on Thursday. Again, our, our weekly Thursday preview pod is only for athletic subscribers. I expect they can be very eventful, so you're going to want to check that out. Uh, again, please rate, review, subscribe. Give us any sort of feedback uh, anywhere on what you think of this. Uh, this stuff, uh, we, we, we read all of it. Colton went through all of those voicemails, and we, we – <laughs> we may we'll probably be doing that again moving forward so we want you guys to be a part of this as well because this is the whole reason we do that so that'll do it here for colton pouncey i'm chris vanini thanks to our producer mike zimmerman shout out to the road dog jesse james and john l smith and we will talk to you all later hey there everybody we are excited to share some big news our team here at the athletic and our friends at wondery just launched a brand new daily sports show called the lead that we know that you are going to love. The Lead is the first daily sports news podcast that will cover everything from the world stage to the hometown. With the help of the Athletics, more than 400 writers and editors, co-hosts Kavitha Davidson and Anders Kelta will bring you sports news up close and personal each weekday morning. You are about to hear a preview of The Lead. Subscribe to The Lead on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening right now so you don't miss an episode. There is also a link in the episode notes. That will take you there and check out theathletic.com slash the lead to read the stories that will be featured on the lead moving forward. You can follow sports through sound bites or the full story. From up in the press box or down on the sidelines. But what do you want to accomplish this year? Actually, I want to accomplish getting on this team first. This fall, a new daily podcast brings you closer to the sports stories that matter. Stories about players. A guy like Zion just represents that hope of the failures of the past don't matter because we've got this guy now. That's the buzzer. Oh, he knocks it down. Stories about hometowns. You will see hundreds of people wearing number 32 Simpson jerseys uh, in the stands on Sunday afternoons for a Bills home game. And stories about the teams you love. This was the first chance for all those baseball fans to see their guys. From The Athletic, home to the best storytelling in sports. And Wondery, the company behind Sports Wars and Gladiator. I'm Kavitha Davidson. And I'm Anders Kelto. Introducing The Lead. Go beyond the box score, five days a week. This isn't a story where you go to some place and interview the athlete and go home. It stays with you. Are you kidding me? I have never seen anything like that. The lead premieres September 16th on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening right now. Oh, what a The lead.
Sports Up Close. Hey, hey, I need some more of that.